Near the horizon, the sun was smoldering dimly, almost obscured by formless mists and vapors, which gave an impression of mass and density without outline or tangibility. I pulled out my watch, the while resting my weight on one leg. It was four o'clock, and as the season was near the last of July or first of August, I did not know the precise date within a week or two. I knew that the sun roughly marked the northwest. I looked to the south and knew that somewhere beyond those bleak hills lay the great Bear Lake. Also, I knew that in that direction the Arctic Circle cut its forbidding way across the Canadian barrens. The stream in which I stood was a feeder to the Coppermine River, which in turn flowed north and emptied into Coronation Gulf and the Arctic Ocean. I had never been there, but I had seen it once on a Hudson's Bay Company chart. Again my gaze completed the circle of the world about me. It was not a heartening spectacle. Everywhere was soft skyline. The hills were all low-lying. There were no trees, no shrubs, no grasses, naught but a tremendous and terrible desolation that sent fear swiftly dawning into my eyes. Bill, I whispered, once and twice. Bill. I cowered in the midst of the milky water, as though the vastness were pressing in on me with overwhelming force brutally crushing me with its complacent awfulness. I began to shake as with an ague fit, till the gun fell from my hand with a splash. This served to rouse me. I fought with my fear and pulled myself together, groping in the water and recovering the weapon. I hitched my pack farther over on my left shoulder, so as to take a portion of its weight from my injured ankle. Then I proceeded slowly and carefully, wincing with pain, to the bank. I did not stop, with a desperation that was madness, unmindful of the pain. I hurried up the slope to the crest of the hill, over which my comrade had disappeared. More grotesque and comical by far than that limping, jerking comrade. But at the crest I saw a shallow valley empty of life. I fought with my fear again, overcame it, hitched the pack still farther over on my left shoulder, and lurched on down the slope. The bottom of the valley was soggy with water, which the thick moss held sponge-like close to the surface. This water squirted out from under my feet with every step, and each time I lifted a foot the action culminated in a sucking sound as the wet moss reluctantly released its grip. I picked my way from muskeg to muskeg and followed Bill's footsteps along the rocky ledges which thrust like islets through the sea of moss. Though alone, I was not lost. Farther on, I knew I would come to where dead spruce and fir, very small and wizened, bordered the shore of a little lake, the Ticinelli, in the tongue of the country, the land of the little sticks. 
and into that lake flowed a small stream. This I remembered well, but no timber, and I would follow it till its first trickle ceased at the divide. I would cross this divide to the first trickle of another stream, flowing to the west, which I would follow until it emptied into the river Dees, and here I would find a cache under an upturned canoe and piled over with many rocks. And in this cache would be ammunition for my empty gun, fish hooks and lines, a small net, all the utilities for the killing and snaring of food. Also I would find flour, not much, a piece of bacon and some beans. Bill would be waiting for me there, and we would paddle away south down the Dees to the Great Bear Lake. And south across the lake we would go, ever south, till we gained the Mackenzie. And south, still south we would go, while the winter raced vainly after us, and the ice formed in the eddies, and the days grew chill and crisp, south to some warm Hudson's Bay Company post, where timber grew tall and generous, and there was a grub without end. There were my thoughts as I strove onward, but hard as I strove with my body, I strove equally hard with my mind, trying to think that Bill had not deserted me, that Bill would surely wait for me at the cache. I was compelled to think this thought, or else there would not be any use to strive, and I would have lain down and died. And as the dim ball of the sun sank slowly into the northwest, I covered every inch, and many times, of my and Bill's flight south before the downcoming winter. And I conned the grub of the cache and the grub of the Hudson's Bay Company post over and over again. I had not eaten for two days. For longer time, I had not had all I wanted to eat. Often I stooped and picked pale muskeg berries, put them into my mouth, and chewed and swallowed them. A muskeg berry is a bit of seed enclosed in a bit of water. In the mouth, the water melts away, and the seed chews sharp and bitter. I knew there was no nourishment in the berries, but I chewed them patiently with a hope greater than knowledge and defying experience. At nine o'clock, I stubbed my toe on a rocky ledge and from sheer weariness and weakness staggered and fell. I lay for some time without movement on my side. Then I slipped out of the pack straps and clumsily dragged myself into a sitting posture. It was not yet dark, and in the lingering twilight I groped about among the rocks for shreds of dry moss. When I had gathered a heap, I built a fire a smoldering, smudgy fire, and put a tin pot of water on to boil. I unwrapped my pack, and the first thing I did was to count my matches. There were sixty-seven. I counted them three times to make sure. I divided them into several portions, wrapping them in oil paper disposing of one bunch in my empty tobacco pouch, 
of another bunch in the inside band of my battered hat, of a third bunch under my shirt on the chest. This accomplished, a panic came upon me, and I unwrapped them all and counted them again. There were still sixty-seven. I dried my soggy footgear by the fire. The moccasins were in soggy shreds. The blanket socks were worn through in places, and my feet were raw and bleeding. My ankle was throbbing, and I gave it an examination. It had swollen to the size of my knee. I tore a long strip from one of my two blankets and bound the ankle tightly. I tore other strips and bound them about my feet to serve for both moccasins and socks. Then I drank the pot of water, steaming hot, wound my watch, and crawled beneath my blankets. I slept like a dead man. The brief darkness around midnight came and went. The sun arose in the northeast. At least the day dawned in that quarter, for the sun was hidden by gray clouds. At six o'clock I awoke, quietly laying on my back. I gazed straight up into the gray sky and knew that I was hungry. As I rolled over on my elbow, I was startled by a loud snort and saw a bull caribou regarding me with curiosity. The animal was not more than fifty feet away, and instantly into my mind leaped the vision and the savor of a caribou steak sizzling and frying over a fire. <laughs>